If you would, please turn with me in your Bible or in the bulletin this morning to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. As we read this morning, I want you to know that we are continuing our study through the life and the letter of one of Jesus' most well-known disciples, the Apostle Peter. And we come for a second week in a row to this very short verse in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Last week we looked at the second half of the verse. Second half of the verse is the promise that God cares for you. And what Peter wants us to know is that this truth, this fact that God cares for us, is all the invitation that we need to come to him, to come to him with all of our anxieties and burdens. Remember it. Cling to it. Remember to preach that message to yourself. God cares for for you. He cares for you. This morning we focus in on the first half of the verse. It says that we are to cast all of our anxieties on him. Before we begin, I want to offer a word of caution. In our country alone, it's estimated that 40 million people live with some form of persistent anxiety. And anxiety affects people differently. It changes from person to person. It changes from day to day. It ranges from the annoying to the completely debilitating. So a word of caution as we begin this morning. For some of you, there will be a temptation to oversimplify the struggle of anxiety. That is to not take into account the individuality and complexity of a person's story, uh, their physical makeup, their own struggle. To assume a one-size-fits-all approach like, hey, just believe these words of Peter and all will be well. Well, not even Peter makes that promise, if you'll pay attention this morning. He doesn't promise that by belief that it will just go away. But for others of you, you may face an opposite temptation, and that is to underestimate the power of God's word to heal. To hear these words from Peter this morning and to see them as trite or naive or an oversimplification of the struggle. And so I would urge you in particular, urge you this morning not to grow cynical about the discipline of clinging to the simple promises of scripture, even, I would say, especially when they seem flat. You know, Peter's in good company here. The first half of this verse is a direct quotation from King David in Psalm 55, 22. David himself, if you go back and read the psalm, is struggling over anxiety because of the betrayal of a friend. And one of the things that struggle tells us is that there have been a thousand years, a thousand years, between the journey of David and now the journey of Peter. And Peter, think about all the things that happened in those 1,000 years with the people of God. All the sufferings, all the struggle, all the anxiety. And yet the apostle Peter is still convinced that these words are true. That these are the words he needs this morning. That these are the words that are the right counsel to offer you. They are timeless because they are true. If you're able, would you please stand with me now to receive that counsel once again to hear God's authoritative and inerrant word 
read aloud. 1 Peter 5, 7. Peter writes, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I want us to look at three things related to this verse this morning. They go like this. Number one, I want us to look at what anxiety is. What is anxiety? What is the, the very thing that Peter is calling us to cast upon the Lord? Number two, where does it come from? If we were to look uh, a layer beneath the word anxiety, where do our anxieties actually originate? And then finally, what do we do with them? What is anxiety? Where does it come from? And what do we do with it? First, what is anxiety? I want to begin this morning by sharing with you a little bit risky, I think, a recurring dream that I have. Okay? The dream goes like this. I'm in college. It's the end of a semester. And a realization dawns upon me very abruptly. And the realization is that at some point at the beginning of the semester, I signed up for a class that I've either neglected or completely forgotten about, and the the final is tomorrow. And without fail, it is always some sort of advanced math class that I cannot fake my way through. And so panic ensues, and that panic causes me to wake up, and I'll be honest, I wake up with extreme gratitude. It's a great way to start the day. Happy that I never have to take a math class again. There is some history behind this. I once legitimately made a four on a math test in high school out of 100. So I missed every single question. I didn't get any partial credit. The teacher gave me four charity points for spelling my name correctly. Told my parents I work better as an underdog, keep the bar low, and we'll jump over it every time. And I did pretty well in that class in the end, I think. I share that with you this morning because that reality, the reality of that dream touches on something for me that goes much deeper than math. And that is that I struggle personally with a persistent fear of failure. I struggle personally with a persistent fear of failure. I've carried that burden since I was a child. I've even cherished that burden at times because it seems to motivate me to succeed or want to succeed or to work hard. And that fear is still with me. It's no longer connected to class or to school, but it lingers beneath all kinds of other things. I I'm scared that I'll I'll fail as a father. Um, I'm scared that at the end of my life, I'll look back and and think, you know, I didn't take the risk that I should have. That I was too conservative with the one life that God gave me to live. It lingers beneath having to get up in front of you on a Sunday morning and my palms are sweaty and a little bit of a fear that I'll waste your time. I share that with you this morning because I know something about you as well. And that's, you're like me, that you too are afraid. Now to be sure, your fears are different than mine, but we all live with fear, no matter how well you've learned to manage it, no matter how well um, you can bury it, we all live with fear. He said, Chad, aren't we supposed to be talking about anxiety this morning? Yes, but the best definition that I've heard of anxiety goes like this. Anxiety is a persistent, often irrational fear of the future. Anxiety is a persistent, often irrational fear of the future. 
Say, what kind of future? Well, the future could mean different things for all of us. It could be a fear of what someone in the future may or may not think about us, how they'll react to us. It could be uh, the fear of not getting into the right school or landing the job that we hope to land or you know, the fear of not meeting a challenge or an opposition that has come our way. Anxiety is a fear oriented towards something in the future that may or may not happen. And it's often irrational. Why is it often irrational? Well, not only because most of the things that we do tend to worry about are well beyond our control, but also because there is nothing of value in the worrying itself. You know, Jesus makes this very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you worry about your life. But which of you, through worrying about your life, can actually add a single hour to your days? What is Jesus doing? He is challenging the rationality, the value of worry. Anxiety is a persistent, often irrational fear of the future. And anxiety is so pervasively a part of our shared human condition It is so pervasively a part of our fallen human condition that the admonition not to fear, the admonition not to be afraid is the most repeated command in all of Scripture. Did you hear me say that? More than any other command in Scripture is this one. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? Because the Bible speaks to us And God knows that we are a people who live with fear. Fear is the shape of anxiety. That's what Peter says, what he's speaking to this morning. Now, second, where does our anxiety come from? In other words, who can we blame for it, right? Who can we blame for our anxiety? I want you to listen carefully to Peter's words here. He says, casting all your anxieties on him. I don't miss that. It's a personal pronoun, it's possessive. What Peter is saying there is that the anxieties that we are to cast are the ones that belong to us. These are our anxieties. Now that seems obvious enough, but if we're to be honest this morning, we don't always treat anxiety as if we're the source of it. We often think about anxiety as something that's located in the circumstances beyond our control in the things outside of us that we want to happen but can't really control. For example, someone says, I'm worried because I have to cross a bridge to go to work and that bridge might fall. See, I've just given you a new anxiety you didn't even know you had. (laughs) Now, Now, where does the anxiety come from? Well, you might say the source of the anxiety is the structural integrity of the bridge, that the bridge could hold the car up. That's where my fear really lies, in the bridge. But Peter says, no. That's not where it is. The fear lies within you. It is not the object of your fear that's the source. Your anxiety comes from the fear that is located in your own heart and mind and soul. Now, we can go a little bit further and think more closely this morning. 
And I think at this point, it would perhaps be helpful if you grabbed onto it by thinking about a real worry in your life. I'm not trying to lead you into temptation here, I promise. Think about a real worry that you have in your own life, okay? Now, for a moment, I want you to look underneath that worry. Look underneath the worry and look for the desire that props that worry up. So, for example, you are afraid of a bridge. Why? Because you don't want to fall in a car into a ravine 200 feet below. You want to live. You have a desire to live. You are afraid that your children will fail. Why? Because you have a desire for them to succeed. You see that? Fear and anxiety, behind every fear, behind every anxiety, is a desire, a legitimate desire, that often props that anxiety up. You are afraid of looking foolish. Why? Because you want to be seen as being competent, successful, wise. In every fear you'll find, in every anxiety you'll find a desire, and most of those desires are good. Right? I mean, it's good to want to live. It is good for you to want your children to succeed. It is good to be someone who is wise. There is nothing wrong with those desires until, until those desires intensify to the point of becoming God in your life. Until those desires intensify until the point that you begin to cherish those desires more than God himself. And when that happens, when we begin to cling to our desires at all costs, our desires for a good life, our desires for security, our desire for our children's success, then those desires no longer are servants, but they become masters. And listen to me, desires make good servants, but they make terrible masters. And what Peter is saying this morning is that you are to cast your burdens on God. You are to cast your burdens on God because your desires are burdens that are too heavy for you to carry alone. And watch out, because those desires can become a God that is too frail for you to serve. Your desires are burdens that are too heavy to carry and they, they can become a God that is too frail for you to serve. Now, why is all this important? And what do we do with it this morning? Well, now I think we're prepared to hear Peter's words for us. Peter says, cast all of this on him because he cares for you. Cast all of this on him because he cares for you. I read an article this past week written by a young woman who has dealt with persistent anxiety her entire life. She's a professional writer. She's a fantastic writer. And she talked about a situation she had where she went to her therapist to deal with her anxiety. And the therapist said, look, here's what you need to do. Every time an anxious thought pops up in your mind, I want you to take that thought by the hand and I want you to walk it out the door. 
And I want you to do that over and over and over again until the door shuts tightly and finally that anxiety stays out. She said, okay, I got this. So she began to take her anxiety by the hand and walk it out the door. She said, as soon as I walked it out the door, it popped up again. And she did this for hours upon hours upon hours until she realized that she wasn't getting anything else done in life and it was creating more and more anxiety. And so she stopped doing it. Her point was this, it's not enough just to say, get over it. It's not enough just to say, take your anxiety by the hand and walk it out the door and expect it to stay there. Anxiety is more like a thorn for most people, like a thorn in the flesh. And if you remember the apostle Paul's words, he anticipated that that thorn might even stay with him throughout his entire life. And yet I want to show you this morning that this is a struggle that God can use in your life for good. What does Peter tell us to do with our anxiety? Well, the first thing he tells us to do is you have to own it, okay? We've been there already. You have to own it. You have to, you have to name it in your life. You have to be honest about it. Peter teaches us to say, these are my fears. These are my anxieties. These are my burdens, my worries. They belong to me. Heard a story recently of a parent who dropped off her child late for school. And you know, when you drop off your child late for school, sometimes you have to go into the school and, and sort of like put an excuse down. And in the excuse line, she just wrote, bad parenting. That's the level of honesty I'm talking about here. Bad trust. Be willing just to name what is true about you. These are my fears that have come from my desires. Own it. Now I want to pause here and say this. If you're like me, for some of you, even this first step will be a challenge because, not because you're intentionally trying to hide anything, but if you're like me, you're just not very emotionally in tune to what's going on inside of you. In seminary, I came to the end of a long semester and I started having heart palpitations, right? Uh, heart started fluttering and I did the thing that you should never do. I went immediately to try to self-diagnose myself online and I found that basically all roads lead to you have three months to live kind of thing, right? <laughs> I eventually went to the doctor, and the doctor hooked me up to a, to a heart monitor, and I wore that heart monitor for 24 hours and came back, and the tests were clear. And the doctor started asking me questions. He said, Chad, tell me about your, tell me about your class load. And I said, oh, it's the fullest I've ever had. You know, I'm trying to graduate early. It's been a little bit harder this semester. He said, oh, okay. Are you working right now? Yeah, I'm working sort of 20 hours. Sometimes that turns into 40 hours. So, you know, trying to find time to work too. Huh. Um, any tests coming up? Uh, yeah, finals start next week. Anything else you've been thinking about? Yeah, I have an interview for a job in Dallas. This is 10 and a half years ago. That I really want, but I don't know anyone there. And the more the doctors started talking, the more I realized that I was carrying all these fears, all these burdens, all these stressors, and that they were literally coming out through the beating in my heart. And yet my mind was way behind. My mind had not yet acknowledged it. If you had asked me, do you feel anxious? I would have said no. My body said yes. And I learned an important lesson that day. 
that I do not want to pass over this morning. If you are someone who struggles to be attuned emotionally to yourself, listen to your body. Listen to the body that God gave you. Pay attention to your racing heart, your headaches, your backaches, your sleepless nights, your upset stomach, your, your, your givenness to being sick. This is really important. God made us so that body and soul is fastened together. And it is often true that your body will wave a white flag of surrender long before your mind is willing to acknowledge it. You know, if you ever turn back to the Psalms, go back to Psalm 55 and read of David's experience. Read of David's experience with anxiety. I just want, I want you to listen for a moment how he explains his experience. He says, I moan. He says, I can't sleep. He says, my heart is in anguish. That's a physical reality for him. He says, trembling has overtaken me. You see, when the psalmist talks about spiritual distress, it almost, or when he talks about worship, when he talks about the emotional life, it is almost always connected with his body. Pay attention to your body. David did. You can also know what's going on by paying attention to your thoughts. You know, what do you find yourself obsessing about? When you're not trying to think of something, where, where does your mind return? What are your dreams? What are your nightmares? You can find your anxieties there. And finally this morning, just in, in case you're someone like me who's out of tune, listen to the spouse or the friends or the community that God has given you. Be willing to, to listen to someone else whom God sends your way to interject into your life. You need to pay attention to this. Remember that when the Bible is written, it is always written to a community because the Bible assumes that it takes a community to really know ourselves and to follow Christ well. So that's the first thing. We have to own our anxieties, own our own fears for ourselves. Second thing Peter tells us to do, it's very simple. He says, cast these things upon the Lord. The word casting there just means to throw them. It's a violent act. Throw them upon the Lord. And, and the word is, is, is formed in such a way as to suggest that this is not a one-time event. This is a discipline that we have to do over and over and over again. And I just want to highlight once again that the promise related to this verse is not that there will be immediate relief. The promise is that God cares for you. That you can do these things because he wants that part of you. And that his shoulders are big enough to carry them on your behalf. What does it look like to cast our fears upon the Lord? Well, you might say something like this. You might say, Lord, this is what I want. This is what I want to happen in my life. And I confess that I am deeply afraid that it won't happen. And I'm afraid of how things will turn out if it doesn't happen. But I humbly surrender these things to you to let you sort them out because I can trust in this moment that you will care 
for me. Friends, that is one example. It could be your own words and however you want to word it. But what I want you to get this morning is I want you to get the underlying principle behind all of this. And that is this. Your anxieties, your fears, your burdens are not obstacles that you have to overcome in order to connect with God. It's just the opposite. They are opportunities in your life to grow in your intimacy and love and connection with God himself. In fact, you might want to think of it this way. Anxiety in many ways is a strange gift. It's a strange gift. Because anxiety has the power to expose the truth about you. It is the truth to which Peter mentions back in 1 Peter 5, 6, the very verse that this verse is connected with, where Peter says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he might exalt you. And I want you to think about that for a moment because it's not that often for many of us that in our success and in our affluence and in our giftedness and in our technological advancement, it's not very often that we get an opportunity to feel the truth of our human condition. That our lives belong and surrender to God. Anxiety gives you that opportunity. And when it presents that opportunity to you, I want you to seize it. When your body and your soul wave the white flag of surrender, when your racing heart and intrusive thoughts make you feel the fear of what is to come, let me encourage you to seize that moment. Seize that moment and find God there who is ready to seize you and to care for you just as you are in your weakness. The God who says he is ready and willing and able to give you the daily bread that you need for that moment and no other. The Bible tells us that we are never more right to know the love and the care of God than when we are weak. Anxiety is an indication of our weakness and anxiety ripens you to surrender yourself to him, to feel his care. I've been lost twice in my life that I know of. I mean, like really lost without GPS or anything, without an iPhone. The first time was when I was about five years old and my parents took me, my, my dad, excuse me, took me to a uh, downtown Nashville um, for Sesame Street on ice. And it's as awesome as it sounds, right? Big Bird is skating on ice. And um, show was over, massive auditorium. And I ran out of there because I wanted to show my dad that I knew where to go. And I was going to wait for him at the exit so he could find me and, of course, be proud of me that I was able to sort of get there by myself. Well, didn't happen like that. I ran out, I took a wrong turn, and I didn't know where I was at all. Couldn't go back because of the masses that were sort of like a river kind of spilling out of the auditorium. And so finally, I just went into like the hall that circles the auditorium. I sat down in a corner and I started crying. 
And a, a man there with a young family, he saw me, he was a tall man, he came over to me and he lifted me on his shoulders. And he stood there with me while everyone left. And he didn't take me anywhere, he just stood there. And we waited, and we waited, and we waited. Until finally I saw my dad running around the corner looking for me. You know, that man was able to sit there and wait because he knew something was true about my father. He knew that he so cared for me that there was no way he was leaving that auditorium without me. And so he could just sit there and wait. And I learned something that day that I knew to be true already, but experientially in a new way, and that was that my father cared for me. And it took me being lost, even for a moment, to know the joy of being found. Being lost, even for a moment, just to know experientially the joy of being found by him. Friends, for us, it takes the breaking of our pride, the breaking of our independence, the breaking of our strength to know the joy of God's care for us. And you can think about anxiety as the signal that things are breaking down. The breaking of your control, of your pride, of your independence, that things are breaking down. And let me encourage you to seize that opportunity, to own it, to own your fears and your burdens, and then to throw them, to surrender them, to cast them upon God. Why? Because Peter tells you, he cares for you. He cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning once again, the life of your servant Peter. We pray that it would bear much fruit in our own lives and the lives of those that we've been called to love, to live with. We pray that you would help us Oh God, to know ourselves enough, enough not to be discouraged, but to be able to cast our burdens upon you because you care for us. We pray this in the name of your son who proved that care by dying for us and being raised again, even now seated, seated on the throne to rule over us in grace. In his name we pray, amen.